The Parable of the Workers in the Vineyard Matthew chapter 19 verse 27 Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word now, please teach us and help us, Lord, to respond in faith and in the readiness and the willingness to obey and to change, Lord, according to what your word teaches us and challenges, challenges us about. And we ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. The Parable of the Workers in the Vineyard Now it's the last week before the cross, and we're beginning now to study a series of parables looking ahead to the completion of the Kingdom of Heaven, the Kingdom to come. And as we continue to learn to follow Jesus as part of his Kingdom, we need to learn that the expectations and formulas that work in ordinary human life don't always work in the same way in the kingdom of heaven. So firstly, Peter says, look what we've done for you. Chapter 19, verse 27. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now, why did Peter respond to Jesus with that statement and question? Now, the context is back in chapter 19, 
verse 16 to 26. And there's the account of the young ruler, rich man, who came to Jesus. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So, a rich young man wants to be sure that he will have everlasting life. He has lived a decent life according to the standards of the people of the day. He has kept the commands of the law, again, according to the standard of society around him. He was a good man, but he wasn't sure he'd done enough. Jesus could have explained to him that he hadn't in fact kept the commands as he should. He could have challenged his thought life and could have revealed many secret failures regarding this man. But the Lord homes in on the heart of the matter for this individual. Verse 21. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, of course, this fellow couldn't really be perfect, but going on what this man was thinking about how to get right with God and be uh, be sure of eternal life, Jesus goes along with him to the extent that, well, if you do want to be a good person to try and earn your salvation, if you want to be perfect, go and sell and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And sadly, this young fella, he went away sad because he wasn't prepared to give up all he had to follow Jesus. And of course, that revealed his sin of not loving God with all his heart, mind, soul and strength, of course, of which we are all guilty. Now, the prevailing idea in that day was that to be wealthy was a sign of blessing by God. You must be doing something right if you're rich. And so, if anyone was to be saved, it would be the wealthier people, surely. As with many things, Jesus rips out a big assumption that his disciples had. And his disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. But what leads to Peter's response in verse 27? In essence, it's this. The rich man would not give up everything to follow Jesus, but Peter and the others had. Peter, the self-appointed spokesman for all the, all the disciples, he's asking, since we have left everything to follow you, what kind of reward will we get in the kingdom of heaven? And this is the kind of transactional deal that is natural to us. Most religions have this as the basis for the idea of salvation. I give up or do this or that and, and God will save me or reward me. And it's a, a deal or a transaction between humans and God. Now we know of course that salvation is not a transactional deal where we have something to give, to pay for our salvation. We don't offer what we can bring to God in, in order to clinch a salvation deal to get to heaven for the right price. The price of giving up certain things and doing a certain level of good works, however, however worthy they may be, will just not get us there. The famous verse, verses in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
And then a lesser well-known passage in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says this, A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. Now we can't say for certain that Peter at this point has fully grasped that salvation is by grace and not works. But at very least Peter and possibly the rest of the disciples are thinking about rewards in the kingdom of heaven for their service, for their sacrificial service here on earth in the present. What, will, what reward will we get? Look what we've done. We've left everything to follow you. Now the concept of rewards is clearly taught by Jesus. For example, in Matthew 16, verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And here on this occasion, the Lord does it again. In verse 28, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Warren Wisby comments, Whatever good things they had forsaken for his sake would be returned to them a hundredfold. In other words, they were not making sacrifices, they were making investments. Now remember, the rich man would not give up everything to follow Jesus, but Peter and the others basically had. Now, do you ever find yourself thinking or even resenting that you've given so much time and energy and money in serving God over many years, and maybe frustrated at others who haven't appeared to be as serious yet about commitment? Do you ever find yourself maybe at the back of your mind thinking of the transaction my big commitment now? What will I get from God one day? Now, the Lord, our Lord, adds in a corrective to that thinking. Verse 30 of chapter 19. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Secondly, the question of for love or the compensations. Chapter 20 and verse 1. In the universe of grace, sometimes human logic doesn't seem to fit. The simple formulas that work in ordinary human life don't work in the same way in the kingdom of heaven, and we have to learn to accept this. Gordon Keddy wrote, Beware of congratulating yourself for your self-sacrifice, and don't fall into the trap of thirsting after rewards as if you had merited them by your good deeds. It was to expound this theme and lead Peter to a deeper understanding of his destiny as a believer that Jesus told the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. Now notice he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And it would have been a 12-hour working day. Verse 3. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and again notice, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went 
He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same. And then at the, about the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why, haven't, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now notice, there was an agreement between the workers who started first to pay them one denarius, which was about the average labourer's daily wage. But there was no such agreement with the rest of the workers hired at the different times. They were to leave it to the landowner. I will pay you whatever is right. But with the very last set of workers, nothing was said. They may not have expected much at all. They just worked, in a sense, trusting in the landowner that they would get paid something. Now, the first set of workers work with a contract signed, as it were. The rest work with no contract. They just have to trust the landowner. Here's a question for us. Are we living for God based simply on a kind of a contract? I'll do this for you, Lord, if you do this for me. I'll serve you if you bless me with health and wealth. I'll serve you as long as things run smoothly. But doesn't this remind us of Jacob? Jacob, before a long set of life lessons, he tried to make a transaction with God in Genesis 28 verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of you, all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, we would probably never dream of trying to state such a deal with God or propose such a deal with God. But let's be honest and ask ourselves a question. Is my attitude in serving, is my relationship with Christian colleagues as I serve alongside them, is it corrupted and affected by a thinking even at the back of my mind? I'll serve you, Lord, if you bless me with health and wealth. I'll serve you as long as things run smoothly. I'll serve you as long as I can have some recognition. Or is that attitude to be just so grateful, so glad to be able to do things for Jesus that we serve him through thick and thin without, without calculating possible rewards. Just happy to trust God to do what is right. The third heading is, that's not fair. That's the response of the workers who were hired first when they saw that they got just as much money in wages as the people who were hired for just one hour. And we're looking at chapter 20, verse 8 onwards. So, back to the parable. It's time to get paid. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now the union would not like, not like what comes next, and normally speaking no one would. Verse 9. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came, and each received a denarius. So... When those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now, we can understand the first workers saying, that's not fair. But it was legally fair. The contract was kept by the landowner. 
it was what it was what they agreed to be paid for the day's work and the rest of the payment well was down to the land owner's generosity now of course in general terms in employment we can understand the basic logic that if you work harder or longer you should get paid more in employer and employee relationships there needs to be a clear and level playing field private generosity needs to be kept clear and distinct that would seem to be the modern perspective on wages but even in the, this 2000 year old parable the reaction to being paid the same as the ones who had only worked an hour was that's not fair but this parable is not about wage agreements and the ethics of that it's about how things work in the kingdom of, of heaven we need to remember that it is God's world it's the kingdom of Jesus and he has the right to be generous and to reward his servants as he wishes. Verse 13 But the master, the landowner, answered one of the complainers, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now the supreme example of what seemed to be last, ending up the first, is the Lord Jesus himself. He became nothing. He took a lowly place, becoming the servant, and died a death that looked pathetic to his enemies, as if he was the last in the queue of blessing for blessing. In the end, of course, he rose to take the first place, as Peter, in his first letter, puts it, chapter 2, verse 7. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus was treated and appeared to be the last, but he is truly the first. Now, how do we respond to the teaching of this parable. Well, in the universe of grace, sometimes human logic doesn't seem to fit. The simple formulas that work in ordinary human life, they don't work the same in the kingdom of heaven. And we as disciples of Jesus, we have to learn to accept this. If we have the attitude of calculating our forthcoming rewards based on our sacrificial service in the life of the church, we may find ourselves at the end of the queue. In business, we need to keep a record of our receipts and be very careful about that. In serving God, in loving others, we don't keep counting up the receipts looking forward to getting recompense. We just serve. We need to just get on and serve, not comparing ourselves with others, not in competition with each other, but just embrace the opportunities to serve our wonderful and lovely Saviour. Luke 17 verse 10. Jesus taught us to think like this. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. And the Lord wasn't teaching us there to demean ourselves and our service, but to have an attitude which isn't calculating rewards, but just does our duty out of love and thankfulness to God. It's a humble attitude, and we need to foster a truly humble attitude. Warren Wiersbe wrote, Beware of overconfidence when it comes to the rewards God 
God will give. For those first in their own eyes and in the eyes of others may end up last. Likewise, do not get discouraged. For those who consider themselves unprofitable servants may end up first. If we have this humble attitude, even though we know that God has promised to reward us, that thought will not dominate our approach to service. We will not be calculating what we might get. Think of a, a waiter in a restaurant who counts their tips in public and gets so distracted by the thought of earning tips, they fail to serve the food to the right people and create a cold atmosphere in the restaurant. If we have the, the humble and unassuming attitude that our Lord calls for, we will not be jealous of other Christians either and resent the rewards that they may get. The greater we grasp the message of this parable, the more we will just love to serve and love to love. We need to take great care not to be judgmental about the service of others. Calling out clear sin is one thing, but making a accurate value judgment on someone else's service is impossible, except for only God. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, we're told, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time each will receive their praise from God. John Broadus in his commentary wrote, We learn here that this reward will not be regulated by the mere outward conditions of the time spent in his service or the results actually attained but will be conferred according to his own judgment and sovereign pleasure. And this is a truth that is profoundly humbling. We will be rewarded for our service. It is right to be mindful of that. It is an encouragement in difficult times to think of that, but the calculations and the surprises are in God's hands. In Colossians 3 verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Putting it together, clearly this parable is not telling us that thinking of rewards is wrong, but that it is wrong to have a calculating attitude, tallying up how much we might get when we have served so hard. Look, Lord, look, Lord what we have done. Look what I have done. And also we're being told here that it is wrong to get cross or jealous of what God is doing in the lives of others around us. And we cannot make assumptions in the wonderful world of God's surprising grace. We may be very surprised at the people we didn't expect to see in the kingdom of heaven. And we may be very surprised how God rewards his people at that time. Remember the criminal who repented as he was dying on the cross next to Jesus. And he certainly was only able to serve Jesus in a limited way in the last moments of his life with just a few words. But he will receive his reward along with people who have believed and served God for many years. Some Christians with disabilities of various kinds still serve God in the best way that they can. But they'll never be known for their service, never be in a pulpit, never be a name written in a book, but God knows who they are. There may be people who are famous and have 
written uh, a biography, an autobiography at a fairly early age and seemed to be pushed into the limelight of service for God and everybody knows their name. But maybe, in God's estimation, their rewards will be less. We don't know. It's all in God's hands. That's not for us to think about. We will be surprised. The last will be first, and the first will be last. But we leave that in God's hands and just seek to serve him faithfully, knowing that he is good and that he'll bless us with all that we need now and into the future. We can trust him and just get on and serve. Let's pray. Lord, we remember the words of that song, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you have paid the price for us to be in your kingdom, in your family. Lord, we've been saved by your grace. It's your death that has paid the price. And Lord, we, through faith in yourself, are able to live a life, Lord, of service for you. It is a privilege to be saved and to serve. And you give us gifts and abilities in the here and now. And they are, again, a gift of grace because we, we don't deserve anything. Nothing good from you, apart from your judgment. Lord, and even the rewards that we are blessed with in this lifetime and even more so, rewards that we will be able to look forward to in the life to come, the responsibilities, the opportunities to serve, the, the stewardship that you'll give to us. Lord, we don't know what it's going to be exactly. We have little clues in your word, but we thank you that we will be able to continue to serve you and enjoy the rewards that you, that you promise. But Lord, we ask that you would help us not to have a calculating attitude, Lord, as we serve you in the here and now, expecting maybe that we'll get great rewards for, for our work in a proud way, Think, Lord, that, but that we might just humbly serve you, trusting you to reward as you know best. And Father, we ask that you would change our attitude if we and maybe looking over our shoulder at fellow Christians, maybe with a resentment or a jealousy. Lord, cleanse us from that thought. Cleanse us from that attitude. Forgive us, Lord. And help us, Father, just to focus on our service for you. Lord, help us not to be judgmental, Lord. Assuming that our motives are better than others. Comparing what we're able to do with others. Lord, help us to recognize that we each serve you as individuals and we are accountable to you as individuals but lord help us in these days and into the future to serve you together lord rejoicing in each other's gifts and abilities that you've given rejoicing in the work that you're doing in each other's lives not to have any resentment or competition between us and help us father to love to serve and love to love not with a, a thought of what we might get in that calculating way, but because it's the right thing to do in response to your first love to us. So we pray for your help. Help us to put these things into practice and help us as we seek to follow 
you, Lord Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. And we pray this in your name. Amen.